It's good to see you tonight. I'm so glad you're here. Tonight is going to be a very special evening, so you'll be blessed by being a part of it for sure. So as you know, we're here tonight to celebrate the ordination of Jeff York and the work that God has done in his life and the opportunity that God's given us as a church family to be able to watch the work ongoing in Jeff's life and also I know there's a lot of folks here and you've gotten to see uh, the work in Jeff's life in your own context and so we're all here to celebrate that and that's what's good is that when God goes to work we all get to see it and if you're around it you know it it's different than any other kind of work that you'll ever see so I'm going to pray and then I'm going to have Mark Williams come, and he's going to uh, start tonight. He is Jeff's longest friend, and they have known each other since childhood, and I've asked him to come and uh, give us some context. I asked him to take us from here to there because he can do that because he's been there, and he got to see it, and so that'll be a a blessing for us to share that together. So let me pray, and then Mark will come, and he'll share. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for our purpose tonight in gathering is to celebrate you and your amazing work in Jeff's life. We thank you for Tish and for her support, and God, how you have used her to accomplish all these wonderful things that we've been able to see happen through their ministry together through the Joseph home, through the many lives that they've touched, Lord. And we just come tonight to celebrate all of that and to give you the praise and glory for all of it. Lord, we thank you for his long and enduring friendship with Mark. We're grateful that you, as you have called Mark into the ministry and as you use him to labor in your mission field, God, we thank you that Jeff, too, has been called to a mission. And Lord, we are a thankful people tonight to be able to be a part of all that you have done. And so, Lord, will you take this time, redeem it, use it for your purposes, make it so that we will know that we have been here in your presence to celebrate the work of your hand for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mark, you come. Um, it is a, a privilege, an honor. I'm going to try not to look at you because I'll cry if I do. And uh, I've been waiting. I was ordained six years ago right here by this congregation. And from that time until this, uh, my iPad is tripping out. So I have been waiting for this moment because Jeff and I uh, the reason that brother Tony asked me to do from there to here is uh, from where he walked uh, I walked and uh, obviously we didn't spend every minute together but uh, we've spent a lifetime together 40 years uh, we've been friends and we well let me go into this because I don't want to run any rabbits. 
day one, starting out. Jeff Davis Elementary. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that, that scripture te- speaks of our friendship. Uh, it speaks of, uh, I have my oldest brother sitting back there, Tommy Williams, Thomas or Tom, some of you know him by, and we're brothers. We uh, grew up together. We had our noses wiped together. We, we lived life together, but there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Jeff, I remember, um, I've told this in the past couple of days, a couple of times, because God has just brought it to my mind. I've been uh, asking the Lord, what would I share? What would I say with this group of people uh, that know a lot about him, but not everything about him? <laughs> Jeff said in CR, Celebrate Recovery, Friday night, that I know where all the bodies are buried. So, <laughs> um, we, I remember sitting next to in the row next to this little white, almost white blonde haired kid with white blonde eyebrows and the Lord established a friendship in that moment. That was Jeff Davis Elementary in 1980 in Long Beach and uh, you all know that place isn't there anymore but God established something. A friend that sticks close, a friend that's a friend even though he ain't got to be a friend. (laughs) Um, God is good. Now the context. Uh, I want to give you uh, a little bit of testimony um, because I was there again for a lot of it. Um, we gave our lives to Christ right after this episode. So this is the county farm episode. You remember that? <laughs> so Jeff and I, Jeff uh, had, we'd gone about a year or so um, not really hanging out and the Lord just brought us back around and in the friendship, and uh, he was involved with the Harris County Sheriff Department, like the junior sheriff. It's almost like the Boy Scouts or the sheriff program. And I thought, man, that'd be great. That'd be cool. Yeah, I'll get involved with that with you. So we get involved doing some stuff, and he and I, he and I are out at the county farm. One was Saturday morning, early Saturday morning. I remember there was like a mist fog do thing, and and uh, we're out there just doing stuff. I, you know, I don't know exactly what we were supposed to do, but we were out there just kind of having fun, looking around. And uh, we're in this old Scout. Was it a Scout? And this thing didn't have an exhaust system on it. I mean, it's a county farm sheriff jeep truck. And uh, we're out there. We go over around to where the bloodhounds were, and we're checking out the bloodhounds. And, and he's driving, by the way. It wasn't me. And... Uh, we get done at the bloodhound, so we're going to go back to where, I don't know, where we're hanging out. And the county farm had, it was a farm, crops planted. So he decides to drive out through the crops a little bit because it was just easier to turn around and go that way, and it was deep mud. And this is a four-wheel drive, and he, he lays into it. I mean, wah, wah, you know, just plowing through. And uh, we get back on the road, and we drive, and we're sitting, I think we were sitting under the pavilion, and here comes this truck flying down the road. And we were both like, yeah, what's going on here? And the sheriff gets out, 
and cussed us for everything we were worth. Apparently, he was in a field in the woods not far away with a trophy buck in the scope. And about that time, Jeff gets on it in the mud <laughs> and scares this buck. <laughs> uh, uh, we, uh, we rode a bus to the county farm, but we were walking down county farm when it was over with, <laughs> literally. And uh, I share that because that ended our career, our influence, our involvement with the sheriff's department. But see, God has plans. He does things in a way to ordain works in your life. Not long after that comes salvation. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, But we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly, and not according to the tradition which he received from us. He got saved at 17 years old, gave his life to Christ, and he quit hanging out with me. He was doing, and I don't know if anybody taught you, but he was doing instinctively because he knew he couldn't be around me. I was drinking and smoking and I was doing the things that we had been doing, doing whatever drugs I could get a hold of. And my mom was sitting back there, just plug your ears. He withdrew himself from me. Now, what did that do? It frustrated me because my boy had walked away from me. So he harassed me, harangued me for uh, I don't know how long. And uh, he finally came out to Mama's house one day, or where we lived, out where Mama still lives in Lozana, and uh, invited me to a Karen Wheaton concert. I don't know if y'all remember, any of y'all remember Karen Wheaton, uh, her music ministry, but um, I, I, find, I said, you know what, I'll go with you if we go out and party afterwards. And I had my whiskey and my marijuana and my cigarettes and... I was in the truck, and he's like, okay, yeah, let's do it. So I had all that with me that night. Go to the church, and the Spirit of Christ fell on me. And I gave my life to him. God changed me in that moment. And then we can hang out again, but not partying. The calling. Second Timothy 1.9, who has saved us? called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So it wasn't long after that that Jeff and I surrendered to a call in our lives. We were called almost at the same time, probably at the same time. And in that call, we, the Lord started using us to preach. We were in, deeply involved with You for Christ and, and other things, and we knew that God had called us. We knew that God was uni using us to do things that, you know, a, a teenager should not normally want to do. And then came a time of the return to old things. Proverbs 26, 
11, as a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. So around the same time, he and I both, "Ah, this is not for me. But the problem was, (laughs) we didn't understand that God can keep you. God can hold a promise over your head. God can take what you promised him and make it happen whether you like it or not. We went, he went this way and God's over this way. And we still friends this whole time. Still staying in contact, still still in communion, still in fellowship. His mom and dad are my mom and dad. My mom is his mom. That's how, as long as I can remember, that's how it's been. And I look back and I think, Lord, why, why would you do something like this? I appreciate it. I thank you for it. And he still teaches us every day, doesn't he? Why he does the things that he does. And then came a time of returning home. Luke 15, 17 through 24, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose And he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the beast, uh, uh, the best robe, and put on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Uh, Jeff, I I came back to the Lord before him. And God did that on purpose. Um, He got saved before me. I came back to the Lord before him. Just swapped it up a little bit. I remember the day that Jeff and Tish came in. And I think y'all came in that door right there into this fellowship. And Jeff said, and you know, we, we talked all the time. Here's the, here's the thing. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I knew. Listen, seven years ago, where's Wade been? Where is he at? You're supposed to raise your hand, man. <laughs> okay, now I see you. <laughs> I told Wade Benton seven years ago. We, he and I were talking about recovery ministry. Seven years ago, y'all, I told Wade, I know the man. I know the man. When he gets his heart right with the Lord, I know the man, didn't I? He came in that door, and they'll tell you, Jeff said, I- I'm good. I'm, I'm going to come here for a little while, but I'm going to sit on the back row. I ain't doing nothing. <laughs> And that's exactly what I did when he said that. I laughed at him. And he just looked at me sideways like, what? Because see, I saw today. 
seven years ago. I saw today. I knew because I knew God's call on our life. I saw it when it happened when we were teenagers. I lived it. I knew it was real. I knew there's no way two dudes like me and him could change. I knew there was no way he'd quit partying with me unless something drastically happened. I've waited six years for today. Because, see, I was ordained six years ago. And I've waited six years, Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. See, you give your heart to the Lord. Really give your heart to Christ. Not this little Jesus on a shelf stuff. Really sell out to him. Men. This right here says that you will become like Jesus one day. If you're really sold out to him and women, you will become like Jesus one day. If you're not, you'll just stay the same. Amen? And I knew he was sold out. I knew this day would come. And I praise the Lord for allowing me to have a part of it. I love you, man. Love, Tony. Oh, the good God we serve. Two raggedy teenagers. Nobody believes in them. Nothing but trouble. I'm sitting down there reminiscing. I think I got voted most likely to be incarcerated in high school. <laughs> Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and following. I too have wondered about this day, wondered about what I might say, wondered about what it might be like, wondered how long it would take, wondered what things God would do in your life, Jeff, to bring about the clarity that it's time for this to happen. Matthew chapter 9. The Bible says, Then Jesus went out. He went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when the multitudes saw... When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. There's Jesus walking about the cities and the villages, 
teaching and preaching the gospel. And he comes to this moment in time where he looks out and he sees the multitude. He sees a specific group of people. The Bible just calls them a multitude, but they are multitudes of people, but they're not all people. He's not looking at all people. He's looking at a multitude of people, but they're a specific people. And it's those people, that multitude of people, that he grieves for. His heart breaks for them because he sees them weary, scattered, like sheep that have no shepherd. I remember when you first started taking men into your house. I remember having a conversation with you about how there were some doors in your house that didn't open because there were mattresses stacked up in front of them, people sleeping on them. And instead of you talking to me about how you were going to get these guys out of your house, you keep talking to me about how you're going to get more guys into your house. Who says that? But a person who sees a specific group of people and they're weary and they're scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And you feel compassion for them because you know what it's like to be them. You know what it feels like to walk in their shoes and you know what it feels like to feel abandoned and desperate and hopeless and unloved and all of those things. And it was in those moments that God began to show you what he was going to do in your life. And I always say that every great thing that God does always starts with a burden. Everything. There's Nehemiah serving the cups to the king, living in the palace, eating from the king's table. Life is good until one day he runs into some of his brothers. And they tell him the walls are broken down in his homeland and everything's a wreck and the people are suffering. And he's broken and he has a burden for his people. He sees them weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And it's through that burden that God uses him to do the impossible. It's always a burden that starts, always. And anything that starts with something other than a burden is not going to be supernatural and not going to be from God. But a man who takes men at rock bottom into his home is a man who has a burden for a specific group of people. Now Jesus says, in response to this moment, in response to this burden... His statement is the famous statement about the harvest. It truly is plentiful. But the laborers are few. 
You know, this passage is so oftentimes, I think, underused. I, I hear people use this passage to sort of pump people up or recruit people maybe into vocational ministry or into some form of service or uh, some spiritual aptitude. But here's the thing. As compelling as the statement Jesus makes is, and the fact that Jesus is the one making the statement makes it all the more astonishing that here we are 2,000 years later and there still always seems to be a great shortage when it comes to people willing to serve in vocational ministry. It's a frightful thing. Now there's at least three reasons that I see for the harvest being plentiful and the laborers being few. The first reason is the influence of Satan. I can tell you from first-hand experience that any time a person opens himself up to the possibility of full-time Christian service, you better believe Satan's going to get involved in that conversation. He's going to plant negative thoughts in your head. He's going to work tirelessly to discourage you. He's even going to use people around you to cast doubt into your mind and heart and to create insecurity wherever he can. Unfortunately, your wife is going to be the enemy's favorite target. You need to know your adversary and his tactics well so that you won't be caught off guard. He is a defeated foe, that is true. But he is still capable of causing great pain and angst in your life if you fail to recognize his ways and his means to get to you. Your commitment to follow the Lord has not gone unnoticed by those who seek to thwart you. And so that's the first reason why I think there's such a deficiency of laborers in the plentiful harvest field. Most people just don't want to deal with it. They don't want to... They're not willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. The second reason why there's always a shortage of laborers in the field... I think it's obvious as well. It's the word laborer. You see, the bottom line is ministry is hard work. That should be obvious by the few amount of people that are flocking to do the work. You know, there's not a long line of people waiting for the opportunity to spend their life
walking with people who have battled addiction. There's not a bunch of folks out there waking up one morning and saying, you know what I want to do? I want to jump into people's lives when they're at rock bottom. I want to get in there when they're at their lowest point, when it's the most discouraging and difficult and agonizing. I want to be the one who believes in them when they can't believe in themselves. There's not a lot of people signing up to do that. Let's face it. It's not the most glamorous job in the world, is it? As I thought about it, I thought, you know, if Jesus said he was looking for supervisors instead of laborers, we'd probably have a multitude of people in the field, wouldn't we? If he'd have said he was looking for bosses, directors, CEOs, influencers, man, we'd have a waiting list. I'd be backlogged a mile long, people wanting to get ordained. But he didn't say that. He called for laborers in the field. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of people looking to align themselves with labor. You would think that just the simple fact that Jesus is the one speaking would be enough. But the truth is, what Jesus said then is just as true today. The harvest is still plentiful. And the laborers are few. The third reason why there's always a shortage of laborers is what I call general cluelessness. By that I mean... There's many people in the ministry who bemoan the fact that it's hard to find people who actually are willing to give their life to the ministry. But if you really stop and look in the mirror, the question that I think that they need to ask themselves is, well, am I intentionally encouraging people to be in the ministry in the first place? Am I regularly talking to the Lord about the need that's at hand? Now, the reason I bring this up is because of your specific ministry. Ten years... I prayed for God to give us a transitional home ministry for 10 years. And over the course of those 10 years, we tried to align ourselves with various uh, ministries around the coast that had started up. And we kept thinking every time one would start up, maybe this is the one for us and so on and so forth. And it never seemed to never seemed to work out. But Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors. So that's what I did. That's what Wade did. We prayed together. 
And we talked about it all the time. We always had people with a heart to help in this area. We always had that. We always had the means to support a ministry like the Joseph Home financially. We always had that. But for 10 years, we lacked one thing. One important thing. The man that God would provide to give his life to lead this ministry. Years before I ever met Jeff York, I didn't even know that name. Didn't even know he existed. I remember I was sitting in a meeting, an elders meeting. And we were having a conversation about the various, about this ministry and my desire to see us move in this direction. And some of the men in the room were talking about all the people within the congregation who had a heart for this sort of ministry and would be supportive and helpful and so on and so forth. And I looked at them and I said, what you have to understand is that the only way to be successful in a transitional home ministry is you have to have a leader willing to live with the people that you're trying to help. It's not the kind of thing you can do from a distance. You have to, it's an intense discipleship that has to take place day in, day out, moment by moment, in the good times and the bad times. Because let's face it, if we're going to learn to put the pieces of our life back together, we're going to have to learn how difficult that is, and we're going to have to learn that everybody struggles. And that it's hard. So I remember saying we need to pray for God to raise up the right person. Because a night manager won't cut it. See that's why there's not a long line of people waiting to take your job. You got security bro. I thank God for His provision in you. People always ask me, well, how can I know that God's calling me to the ministry? And I always answer with two simple statements. One, I say, if there's anything else you can do, go do that. If there's any other job you can do, Go do that. Because if God calls a man to the ministry, it's like breathing. Either you do it or you suffocate. The second thing I always say is, you better adjust your expectations accordingly. To do vocational ministry is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus who himself is the pinnacle of persecution and suffering. Vocational ministry is about chronically being underpaid, overworked, underappreciated, learning to depend on God in ways 
you never knew possible. Don't expect people to understand. They can't. Only a person in the ministry can understand. When you go in the ministry, the person you're married to goes in the ministry with you. Your children go in the ministry with you. But only those who live it day in and day out can relate to what you go through. The laborers are few. But those few laborers that God sends to work beside you will be your greatest source of earthly encouragement. And so, thank God for them. Cling to them. Lean on them as you lean on the Lord. The very fact that there's such a shortage of laborers in the field is really what makes tonight so special. Is that we're not commissioning you and sending you out into some crowded field or endeavor. No. Tonight, we will ordain you, Jeff York, into Christian ministry, which means we're setting you apart as a laborer in the field, as one who has been moved by burden, a burden for a specific people, a burden you can't shake, you can't get away from. You're walking out into the field, but not just any field. It's one of the most desolate and unmanned fields in all the kingdom. And in this field, there's no shortcuts. There's no quick fixes. Every inhabitant in this field has a broken and troubled past that has been smoldered and burned by the fires of this world. And the path home is long and the grade is steep and the success rate will seem low to many. But the God of the harvest is able to restore even that which the locusts have eaten away. And if I've learned anything watching you, it's just secured in me my eternal belief that there's no dream too crazy, too wild, too big for God. He requires a man just crazy enough to believe that he actually might do what he says. He will do. A man willing to see potential where no one else sees it. To love those who can't even love themselves. To, and when he sees lives restored, testimonies written, and the God of the Scripture glorified, 
It makes it all worth it. No matter the pain, no matter the cost, no matter the time. It's the greatest reward we can ever experience, the side of heaven. That's why I believe that you've been uniquely gifted and called to this work. Which is, make no doubt about it, the work of the ministry. Because these whom you burden for are weary and are scattered. But they are sheep and they need a shepherd. And God's called you to shepherd them. So I want to leave you with three simple pieces of advice that 20 years of pastoral ministry has taught me. The most important thing that you can do is to guard and maintain your personal relationship with Christ. The secret to a great ministry is to wear out the pages of your Bible and the knees of your pants. You can never, ever Spend enough time in the scripture or enough time on your knees. If you get to a place where your back's too old and creaky and your knees are too sore and cracky, call me, I have a solution. I've come up with more ingenious ways. To pray without ceasing than you can ever imagine. Number two, take really good care of your marriage. Unfortunately, as I've already said, it's your wife who oftentimes will suffer the greatest. And for some, it seems hard to understand why. But make no mistake about it, there will always be more needs calling for you than there is time to do it. And it will always be true that the easiest person for you to neglect is the one sitting right next to you right now. Especially when God gives you a wife who's supportive and understanding. Don't take advantage of that. Don't neglect that. Care for that. Know that the phone will never stop ringing. Someone's always going to need you. Or at least they're going to think they need you whether they actually do or not. Trouble never takes days off. And it seems to be especially good at working on weekends, holidays, and significant moments for your family. Whenever it's my anniversary, my wife's birthday, or some significant milestone in one of my children's lives, I always know the bomb's about to drop. But I just make provision and I stay steadfast and I love the people God's given me. I try to learn and know 
There's just some times that are tougher than others. I've been in the middle of facilitating an adoption. God just miraculously put me in the midst of two complete strangers. One who was pregnant having a child and nowhere to go. One, a couple who was unable to have children and desperately seeking a child. I didn't have anything to do with it. It just happened that way. And so I've been tossed back and forth between trying to orchestrate all these events and figure all these things out and all the complexities that are intertwined in the midst of all that. And we would miss appointment after appointment and it'd be one roadblock after another. And all the while, I would just remind God that I'm not in this because of me. I'm in this because of you. So, Lord, you have to fix it. And so, 6 o'clock this morning, my phone rings. Not Saturday morning. Not Monday morning. What day is it again? Of course. Of course. Hello? Brother Tony, my water broke. Of course it did. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. It's the way it goes. It'll always be that way. So prepare yourself for it. So care for your personal relationship with Christ. Always make your marriage a priority. And number three, be yourself. One of the biggest mistakes you could ever make is to try to be something or someone that you're not. Jeff York, your effectiveness will always be greatest in the giftedness of how God made you. There's no one in the world exactly like you. No one in history has ever been exactly like you. So by embracing and being exactly who God created you to be, you will be able to accomplish the things that God has called you to be. But there will always be a temptation to try to be like another. But that's not who God made you to be. He made you to be you. And success in ministry comes to a man who's willing to just be who God made him to be. Nothing more, nothing less. So guard your relationship with the Lord. Take really good care of your wife. And be who God made you to be. Now Jeff, what I want you to do right now is come stand right here front and center and if you would face me Jeff York have you determined in your heart to devote yourself to Christian ministry and to all the duties hardships and inconveniences that it may require of you do you promise to serve faithfully putting God first in your life loving people and performing the duties to the very best of your ability that he calls you to do
Do you understand that to embrace a life of faithfulness is to embrace a life of suffering, persecution, and spiritual warfare? As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Is that what you embrace today? Then would you turn and face the congregation? Ladies and gentlemen assembled here tonight, do you agree that Jeff York has demonstrated the kind of commitment and passion for Christian service that will make him effective in the ministry for the gospel of Jesus Christ and that specifically to which God has called him? And if you do, signify by saying amen. Amen. At this time, Jeff, I would ask you to sit in this chair, facing the congregation. And I would ask all the ordained men in the room if you would come and line up in this front pew from here this way. All the men who are ordained, come up to the front here and just line up. And what I would ask you to do is one by one, as Ricky plays the piano for us, would you come and lay hands on Jeff and pray for him individually, one by one, as God calls him to this most difficult of all endeavors. Now, one more order of business. Tish, if you want out, it's your last chance. (laughs) You sure you want to jump in this ship? You're positive. You're going to spend the rest of your life with people sleeping all over the place and calling all hours of the night and Are you crazy? (laughs) Then I want you to come over here and sit next to your husband. God's got to give us a crazy one (laughs) to make it work. Did y'all catch, you know, did you see when those men were coming and they were praying over Jeff? See, they're laborers in the field and they, they labor in the field you labor in and they love you and they care for you and It's just such a beautiful picture, and I'm standing here, and I'm looking down, and I see a judge bent over praying for you at your ordination, and I thought, now here's a judge praying for him, not presiding over him at his sentencing. (laughs) I hope we got a picture of that. Only God can paint that picture. Only God. All right, if the elders would come, Wade and Frank, would you come? Mark, you come. I want you to gather around these two. There's a microphone there somewhere. There you go. Okay, now if there's some friends and family, any of you want to come gather around, now's your opportunity to come do that. If you'd like to be a part, you come.
It's the only time this moment's ever going to happen in his life. So if you want to be a part, this is the only chance you're ever going to get. Almost there, not yet. Father God, what a privilege and honor it is to stand here tonight and and lift up my ooh, my closest brother and his beautiful wife as they sat down to a new phase of this journey you've had them on, a new direction in the same path. I thank you so much, Father, for their heart to serve you, to commit. Uh, their lives uh, to to rewards in heaven. Father, what a privilege, what an honor it is to be in the fields laboring for you. I pray, Father, that you would uh, strengthen them in the good times, strengthen them in the bad times, strengthen them on the mountaintops, strengthen them in the valleys, strengthen them when the road is smooth and straight. Lord, give them the courage to continue to fight the good fight. Lord, I praise you and I thank you for an opportunity to, to just have a little piece of the relationship with Jeff and Tish, little piece of the relationship with the Joseph's Home Ministry. Lord, for my part in the testimony of Joseph, Lord, I pray that you would bless them, bless Jeff as he embarks as an ordained minister, something that, that you started when he was 17 years old. Today we see it come to fruition. Lord, I praise you and I thank you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Father, what you do, what you say you're going to do, you always do, and Father, we just pray for Jeff and Tish here tonight. We're so grateful and thankful for all that you're doing in and through their lives. Lord, we pray that your hand continue to be upon the ministry. And it's always been about everybody else, Lord. And that's the way it's always going to be. It's never about us. It's always about everybody else. And and I, I know they understand that. And I, I just see you. Uh, you being glorified through their lives. And, Lord, we're just thanking you for that. And we pray right now that you'll just continue to bless them and watch over them. We pray that you'll continue to bless the Joseph own ministry, Lord. And, Father God, all the men that come through, Lord God, you're, you're bringing those men through there so they could go out and be laborers in the field also. you got a purpose for their life also. And, Father God, we just pray right now that as you took Jeff and me and Mark and all the other rejects, and, Lord, you say, you know what? i got a plan for them. Amen. i got a purpose for them. And it's higher than anything that we can even dream up ourselves. Amen. So, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We give you all the glory and praise for 
Joseph on ministry and Jeff and Tish. And we're looking forward to all the great thing you're going to do through Joseph on ministry in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, uh, we are here to worship you. And Father, through this ordination service, God, I pray that you have been glorified. Because it's about you. It's about bringing people to you. And Father, you've given Jeff and Tisha compassionate heart to, to bring so many troubled people to you for healing, to rearrange their lives, to, to give them a purpose, God. And, and Father, we thank you for that. And God, we pray that you just continue to give them a, uh, an extra portion of, of uh, discernment and wisdom and strength that's already been prayed for, but God, they're going to need it, Lord, and, and, and they're going to need you. And Father, I pray that you just help them keep their eyes on Jesus. Yes, God. That's Thank the most God. important thing, Lord, and, and be diligent in your word and faithful. And God, we have seen so many times in your word where you have been faithful beyond measure. And, and so, Father God, I just pray that you would surround them as, as they minister to to a difficult group of people, Lord, I pray that you would surround them with people that would support them. Yes. God, that they would uh, not feel alone in this ministry, God. I just thank you for giving us the opportunity to, to participate in this yes. ministry, Lord. And, and God, we can see great things happening. And, and Father, as you perform miracles in his and Mark's life, God, I know that you're just going to continue to do that because that's the God that you are. And, God, we worship you. And, Lord, I pray for, for Tish especially, God, because she is, is a big part of this ministry, and she's going to need the strength as yes. well, perhaps even more. And, God, as you call her into, into a different portion of this ministry, Lord, I pray that you, just, you would just anoint her and anoint yes, God. Jeff, God, in a, in a very special way that, that God, that, that people will see Jesus in them. Yes, so, Father, we thank you for them. And, God, we pray that... Uh, that God, above all else, that you're glorified through, th through all of this and that many people come to know you as Lord and Savior. That's our goal, Lord. Yes. It's a, the great commission that you, and, and Jeff takes that seriously, Lord. He, he knows that uh, we're to go forth and make disciples and baptizing them and teaching them everything that you've taught us. So, Father, I just thank you for that. And God, I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Father, tonight as we gather around these two that you've called, Lord, every hand and every head bowed is doing so in love and in faith to you. And Lord, as, as we celebrate what, is, what has been in times past so unlikely and so unforeseen, and we celebrate it tonight, Lord, we also celebrate all the things that lie ahead that we can't see. We celebrate the property that you'll provide for the yes, Joseph Lord, Home Ministry. Yes, we yes. celebrate the buildings that will house multitudes of people. We celebrate the expansion that will yes. begin to incorporate ministry to women. We celebrate an opportunity to be able to take in families with children. We yes, celebrate yes. opportunities to ordain men and who have come through this program, Lord, into the gospel ministry. We celebrate opportunities to see people whose lives have changed to then give their life to changing others, Lord. We celebrate yes, 
all of the things that you will make possible that are exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ever ask or think because that's the nature and the character of the God who has done this. And so, Lord, we trust you for all that's yet to come. And we declare our dependence upon you and our total devotion to give you all the credit, praise, and glory. May Jeff never be the hero of his story. That's right. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, will you two stand? Jeff, you are now ordained into the ministry of Jesus Christ. Amen. Congratulations. Tish said, Pastor Tony, Jeff always wanted a Bible like you. I said, Tish, you know how rare and expensive my Bible is? You can't just run out and get one. I think Jesus signed mine. So I went on a journey... And I'm here before all these witnesses and God to confess that you now own a Bible nicer than mine. <laughs> and in this Bible I wrote, Jeff, contained within this book are the words of life. In ministry, there is no greater discipline than to eat from this vine continually. This is the source of your strength, the wisdom you will need, and the encouragement that will allow you to persevere. Many will doubt you along the way, and you will even sometimes doubt yourself. But always remember that this is not the calling of the qualified. This is the call of God on the least likely to do the impossible. There is always one hero in this story, and his name is Jesus. Spend the rest of your days giving him all the glory. May God always hold you like a vice. Amen. So here you go, brother. Enjoy that. I'm a little envious. Amen. All right, we're all going to go down to the fellowship hall and enjoy some refreshments together. So uh, you'll have an opportunity to visit with Jeff and Tish and take some pictures and so on and so forth. So Jeff and Tish, if y'all would just exit out the side door and lead us that way, and we'll all try to come behind you. Because if we don't, we'll never get down there, and I really want to eat something. So I want you to go first, and then I'm going to let the mob come after you. Amen. I want to say thank you for all of you being here tonight. It was a blessing. What a wonderful time we had. I hope you come down and enjoy a little fellowship and something unhealthy, I'm hoping. I'm banking on it. All right, you're dismissed.